Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you turn in your Bibles there, um, Matthew chapter 6. As we begin, um, I, I do invite you to stand with me one more time for the reading of the scripture. Before we get into Matthew 6, say this with me. This comes from the Shema. We have it up there, Dustin. Fantastic. Let's say this together as an affirmation of our faith. If you want to make this affirmation of your faith this morning, I invite you to. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hear the word of the Lord. This is from Psalm 25. Just listen. Lord, I turn to you. My God, I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. Do not let my enemies gloat over me. No one who waits for you will be disgraced. Those who act treacherously without cause will be disgraced. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways, all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth. To those who keep his covenant and decrees, because of your name, Yahweh, forgive my sin for it is great. That's a prayer of David. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our Father and our King, we approach your word this morning seeking to be taught by you God, how great your mercy is, how great your steadfast love is toward us. God, teach us what it means to be a forgiving people. Teach us what it means to love others as Christ has loved us and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Thank you, God, for being sufficient for our everyday needs today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. Please be seated. This morning, uh, we'll begin here. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. There's a, there's a song that I was reminded of this week. And it's a song by an artist by the name of Matthew West. And the song is aptly called Forgiveness. And the lyrics to the first verse go like this. Maybe you know it. He goes, it's the hardest thing to give away, and it's the last thing on your mind today. It always goes to those who don't deserve it's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. It takes everything you have to say the word. 
forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we are talking about today. Can you relate to that? Can, can you relate to the, to the line, the last thing on your mind, hardest thing to give away? The one that catches me always is, it always goes to those who don't deserve. If we talk about forgiveness, we must first be reminded that we are people who have been forgiven by God and that we did not deserve it. So as we talk about forgiveness this morning, uh, think about forgiveness in the big as we go into a narrow scope here. Forgiveness is one of the central teachings of the scripture. Its importance is so strong in the life of a disciple of Jesus that there is extended commentary on the action of forgiveness in the Matthew account of the Lord's Prayer. I didn't read it in our scripture reading this morning, but if you look with me at verse 14 of Matthew 6, Jesus in, in verse 12 talks about forgive us our debts as we, as we have also forgiven our debtors. But in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive their if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. This is not something to just merely consider. Forgiveness is a big deal. And our lives must constantly, regularly be confronted with the truth that we are people who have been in need of forgiveness and that we are people who are called to extend forgiveness to others by the grace of God. Jesus teaches this, and he could have taught several facets with regard to prayer, but one of the things that he teaches and even comments on is the importance of forgiveness. And, and I think one of the points he's wanting to drive home is this, how you and I experience God's forgiveness for sin affects the way we offer forgiveness towards others. In other words, if we're disciples of Jesus, how we have experienced God's forgiveness for us should be the measure in which we give forgiveness to our brother or to our sister. This is found most basically even in the Shema that we recited just a minute ago. As we seek to love God, the natural over, overflow of loving God is loving each other. That's why Jesus puts them together in the New Testament. He, he says the greatest teachings of all the scripture is to love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6, and to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. He said, these two, this is it. This is what defines how my people are called to live. You love me with all your heart? Awesome. Then as you learn to love me, you're going to love your neighbor with all your heart because that is how loving God is lived out. And so as we look at forgiveness this morning, we have some important questions to ask of the text. For example, we can ask, what, what are we asking forgiveness for? It, does this verse um, mean that we receive salvation again every time we pray this? Are we dependent upon praying this so as not to lose our salvation? There's this conditional statement in verse 14, if we forgive, we will be forgiven. But if we don't forgive, the Father will not forgive our sins. How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of this? We'll get there as we go through this morning. Practicing biblical forgiveness first and foremost recognizes the fact, friends, that we all sin. Guess what? You're a sinner. Guess what? Apart from the work of Christ in your life, you were hopeless, you were away from God, you were subject to God's wrath, but because of Christ's forgiveness and trusting in Christ and Christ alone, you and I can find forgiveness and hope and healing and, and all the things we need for life. <clears throat> this, is not, this may be an obvious statement, but many of us spend our lives trying to appear better than we are. 
right? We, we spend our lives trying to appear better than we are, but without Christ, we have no amount of good deeds that will ever amount to saving us. You could work all of your life, but your debt and my debt is so great before God that without Christ, we are hopeless and without life. Forgiveness only comes through the mercy of God in sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die as an offering, to cover our sin, and to rise from the grave. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. He says this so eloquently. For while we were still helpless, while we were still helpless, the picture I get in my head when I hear the word helpless is a little baby. A little baby is completely dependent upon their parents for everything they need. While we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Verse 8 of Romans 5 says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, we have a problem with sin, and in our own power, we have no way to deal with it. And we have to begin here if we're even going to begin a conversation about forgiveness. Because we cannot extend that which we have not received. At least not in its greatest power. Turn with me please this morning to the book of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. You can hold your finger in Matthew 6 if you desire. Luke chapter 18, we're going to verse 10. In verse, in verse 9, um, Jesus is telling a parable to, to a group of people, and, and the way my text translates it, people who trusted in themselves. And they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. And so Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. There are two people, two men, who went up to the temple complex to pray. Who are these two people? One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, if you know anything about the time in which this is written, you hear the word Pharisee, the common idea of Pharisees is they, they followed the law scrupulously. They didn't miss a prayer. They made sure that they ticked off every single box to make sure that they did not sin against God. All right? Pharisee. <coughs> Excuse me. On the other hand, tax collector. Tax collector was one of the lowest of the low sinners, all right? A tax collector at this point in time was someone who had the, the civil authority to not only take the taxes that were due to Caesar, but he also had the authority to take whatever extra he wanted to for himself. So it was very common that tax collectors were very wealthy, and they were wealthy because they squandered off with other people's money. So tax collectors were not thought of very highly. Pharisees were thought of highly and holy, all right? So, Jesus sets this up. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, he took his stand. He took a stand. He was getting ready to pray, and he was praying like this. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. I'm not greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. He is marking his righteousness by what he does. Now, does what you do matter? Yes, it does matter because what you do reflects the God whom you serve. But in this case, the Pharisee is serving so that people would look at him and think of himself as more righteous. It's why, if you remember from Matthew chapter 6, um, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, it says, 
Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, Pharisees, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. They've got the public recognition, they can have it. That's not what matters. But the tax collector in Luke 18, Jesus says in verse 13, he says, but the tax collector standing far off, notice the difference, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this one, the, the, um, the tax collector, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We think of ourselves many times as more holy and more highly, more pious than we really are apart from Christ's work in our life. Now, if we are in Christ, the scripture says we are a new creation. We become holy, not because of our works, but because of what Christ has done. But finding holiness or uh, a, a greater sense of who we are apart from Christ is deceptive. Some of us here, we tithe, we go to church, we try to be super holy people, and if we're really honest with ourselves, we may not even have a relationship with God. We may be pursuing the externals of faith without actually having a vibrant relationship with the God who authored our faith. So to begin to understand Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, we must first ask ourselves the question, where do we stand with God? Have you trusted Jesus to pay for, to cover your sin by his death and resurrection? Because friends, we cannot learn how to forgive unless we realize how much we have been forgiven. We cannot learn how to forgive unless we realize realize how much we have been forgiven. If you have time sometime and you want to look at another story in the scripture, you can look at Luke 7 later. It's a story of a woman who realizes how much she had been forgiven and how Jesus elevates her. One of the questions that we must ask when we approach the text is, what does it mean then to understand, forgive, for if you forgive their people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6. Is Jesus teaching here that the forgiveness of sin is conditional upon forgiving others? That seems to be a literal rendering of this text. But I remind you of the context. The context of Matthew 6 and the disciples' prayer is that this prayer is being taught to disciples. It's being taught to people who have prayed our Father in heaven. If you remember back to the first week of our series, you might remember we can only come to God. We can only come to God as Father when we have a personal relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. This is the disciples' prayer. Only a child of God can pray this. I have a photo of my family. This is our Easter photo taken at the wonderful exit over here. You'll notice I have three kids. I have three kids, Ephraim, Maya, and Asaph, uh, in that order from that way to that way, if you don't know them. These kids (coughs) are the only three people in this world who can call me the name Dad. I get a lot of mail. I get Pastor Jeremy. I get to Jeremy Cobb one time. Uh, I got a to whom it may concern. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a good one. I I get solicitations of all sorts of kinds. Um, There's only three people in this world who can call me dad. 
Ephraim, Maya, and Asaph. If you are a child of God, you can call God, as Jesus teaches us to call him in the disciples' prayer, Abba, Papa, Father. It's only in that intimate yet respectful relationship that you and I have that, that we can come to God. And so the context of this prayer is that Jesus is saying, you're a disciple, pray to God like this. So what of forgiveness? Well, let's look at a couple of other examples of um, the teaching of practicing forgiveness in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, and I just have this up on the screen for you. Ephesians 4 talks about practicing forgiveness in the context of walking in a new pattern. And it says in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Similar to this, Colossians 3 commands forgiveness with regard to how we walk. It says, walk in a manner worthy. And it says in verse 12, therefore God's chosen ones. That's your identity. If you're in Christ, you are God's chosen one. You're holy and loved. Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. In other words, what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that not that they're <clears throat> that their salvation is dependent upon forgiveness in the interworking parts of their life, but that because they are a child of God, you are to go and you are to forgive. I love how the Moody Bible Commentary states this. It's, they say, it is better for us to see this passage, Matthew 6, as indicating one's capacity for forgiving others is tied to the receipt of forgiveness from God. If one does not or cannot forgive others, it may indicate that he has not yet received forgiveness, so that forgiving others becomes an evidence of one's forgiveness before God. So what Jesus is saying is by their fruits you will recognize them. When you see a person of, of God, they naturally become more and more forgiving because that is the power of Christ in them. And yet the scriptures constantly call us to pursue forgiveness in all forms of our life. So <clears throat> that is kind of an overview of theology of forgiveness, okay? We're going to get practical for just a couple minutes, and hence I have my whiteboard. Uh, those of you who are in my Sunday school class know that I love myself the whiteboard um, because it helps us process and think. I will write this very big so that you all can hopefully see. We are going to use a general example here. We have person A. My kids will be telling me right now, Dad, we can't read your handwriting. And they are probably true. So I have stick figures just for you. We have person A, all right, on this side. We have person B on this side. Just have to make sure I spell things right, which is good. We have person B on this side. They don't have quite smiley faces because they've been in conflict with one another. We're gonna get really practical with forgiveness. Hypothetical situation, person A here <coughs> and person B have been friends for some time. And there has been some form of relational break because person B has said something that has offended person A. 
It was something that, as James talks about, the book of James is, is so um, descriptive. It says words can cause fires. You know, there's little sparks, and all of a sudden, one thing that you said can go into flames. Person B has flames coming out of his mouth. If I was a good artist, I would draw that, but I, I, I'm not. So person B has said something that has offended person A. There is now a rift between these two people. How does the scripture call us to work out and practice forgiveness? How does it call us to do this? Well, there's, there's several passages involved in that. One of them is Matthew 18. If you look at Matthew 18, <coughs> and you can look there later, Matthew 18 says, hey, if your brother has something against you, go to your brother. Go, go to them. So the way that restoration, reconciliation happens is person A can go to person B. All right? Alternatively, person B can maybe recognize what has happened, what he or she has said, and he can come to person A. It can go either way. All right? Um, <coughs> elsewhere in Matthew, it says, if, if you have a relational rift between one another, let me just not go by memory here. It's Matthew chapter 5. Um, it is... Matthew 7, sorry, it's Matthew 7. In talking about judging, it says, why do you look at the speck of the sawdust in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye to be able to see clearly the speck that is in your brother's eye. So when it comes to practicing forgiveness, one of the first things you do, even before you go to brother, is you say, God, what is it in my life that I need to deal with first? It could be in this hypothetical situation that person A, over a course of time, had small comments that just kind of chipped away, and person B finally hit their, hit their thing and, uh, and said something. It may not be. Scripture calls us to always look at what have we done to contribute to this problem, and then to go directly to the person and seek to be restored. Now, <clears throat> I find it fascinating that also in Matthew, Jesus says, hey, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you know, you, you remember that maybe you're not the one who's in pain about it. It says, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness for Jesus is really important. Practicing forgiveness is really important, and it's most important at this peer-to-peer -peer relationship. Now, this could be a husband and wife. This could be a sister and a brother. This could be two brothers. This could be friends. This could be people in church. You go directly to the person, all right? Just blunt. You go directly to the person. You deal directly with the people who are involved, and the sooner you do that, the better it is. The sooner you do that, the better it is. But sometimes there becomes involved, we'll call this person, person C. Person C could be a, a bystander. Sorry, that's a bad C. You can't tell that. There you go. We have person C. Sometimes person A might go to person C out of their hurt and out of their brokenness and say, I can't believe, did you hear? I don't know what to do with so if you're person C, what do you do? How do you pursue biblical forgiveness? In kindness and truth, you say, well, have you talked to person B about this? 
maybe you should prayerfully consider what you have contributed to it and go talk to person B. That's not always what happens. Sometimes person C hears person A's offense and person C gets as mad as person A does about what person B did, all right? In Matthew 18, <clears throat> Jesus says, go, be reconciled. If your brother hears you, then, then that's great. You know, you've won back a brother. If your brother doesn't listen to you, here's where person C can come in in another really helpful way. Person C, as a spiritual mature person, can say, can I go with you and can I help you and person B work this out so that God would be glorified, all right? There's some other practical stuff. Then we have person D, and this is actually, this isn't person D, this is group D. Sometimes relational things like conversations are heard by others. And you have group D that is a group of people, two eyes, yep. Uh, You have group D that's a group of people and they may have overheard something. They're like, ooh, what do we do? What do we do? Well, depending on the situation, this is a hypothetical, so it doesn't address every situation, but depending on the situation, the first thing they can do is they can pray. They can pray that God would soften the hearts of people to work about reconciliation. The other thing they can do is this. If one of them has a relationship with person B, they can go talk to person B and say, hey, I heard you say this and this to this person. What did you think about that? How... How do you think they felt when you said that? Alternatively, they could go to person A and they could say, hey, that must have really hurt you. I'm very sorry for that. Is there something else going on? Is there something deeper that needs to be addressed? One of the things about unforgiveness is that it often has deep roots. Sometimes these roots go back years. Sometimes they go back... um, weeks or or, or days or or hopefully just short times, when we practice forgiveness, we quickly and consistently seek to be right with others. Now, there's a whole host of questions, and if we were sitting down around a cup of coffee, we could talk about what do we do in this situation? What do we do in that situation? Because life is messy and life is sticky. But A couple of principles, there's a couple of principles I just want to give you with regard to forgiveness. The sooner you end, uh, sorry, the first one is, the sooner you seek to mend your relationship, the the often the easier it is to address. The longer something goes, the more you forget what really happened, but there's still feelings of anger or bitterness there. Sometimes when we seek forgiveness, it's difficult to get past the memory of what happened. This is another just kind of thing. Forgiveness may not completely forget what happened. Here's the thing about forgiveness, though. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision that you and I can make today to not hold someone's stuff against them. It's not a feeling. It's an act. I, I, I officiated a wedding last week and for, for some friends of mine, and as we were standing there, I reminded, of, reminded them of something that we talked about in pre-marriage counseling. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's an action to bring to bear all the resources that God has given us to meet the needs of someone else. And here's the kicker about love. Love is God defines love. It doesn't expect anything in return. 
And forgiveness is much like that. Forgiveness is a decision, it's not a feeling. You and I have the ability today, by the grace of God, to choose to forgive. Now, the part of this often involves having a conversation, um, confession, repentance, but ultimately, it involves trusting God for the grace to forgive, especially when it's a really deep wound. One question that might come up when we talk about forgiveness is, what do we do if the other party isn't repentant? Say we go to our brother, and they say, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. They completely deny the reality that they had said something or done something to hurt someone. What do we do then? We again say, God, show me anything in me that is wrong, that is sinful, that is not of you, and God, help me to walk in truth. One of the most freeing things that we can do when the other party is not repentant is to simply trust them to God. After we have exhausted Matthew 18, we've gone to them, we've, we've brought to bear witnesses, we've brought to bear community even if needed, the church community, we simply trust them to God and ask God to bring about repentance and reconciliation in their lives, most of all with Him and secondarily with us. <clears throat> Another just kind of principle of uh, forgiveness that I wanted to share with you. And, and this one comes from Alistair Begg. I was reviewing some of his great material this week on prayer, and I loved that he said this. He said, the sphere of confession need be no longer larger than the circle of offense. Let me say that again. The circle of confession needs to be no longer larger. I can't read my own writing. No larger than the circle of offense. In other words, There are sins that have external consequences, something you've said, something that you have done, but there are sins that we commit all the time that are really sins against God. And there's sins that instead of going to a brother or sister, say, say you're struggling with, um, with lust or you're struggling with um, jealousy or you're struggling with rivalry, do you just go to someone who's not even aware that you're struggling with that and you say, hey, by the way, I'm struggling with this and it involves you? They'd be like absolutely wiped off the map sometimes and, and they could cause more harm than good. This is where prayerful discernment is needed. But what do you do? You go to God and you you repent and you ask forgiveness for sins based upon the circle of offense that is there. Only address those which have caused open offense. In other words, if the sin remains a sin of our hearts, go to God with that sin. And if you need, go with a brother, go with a sister and say, I need your help. I am struggling with this sin in general. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Would you come alongside me? We're going to talk next week about the reality of spiritual warfare in our lives. And I believe that this also happens when it comes to forgiveness, because unforgiveness is something that the enemy would love to hold over us. The adversary desires us to live in unforgiveness, shame, and guilt, and he's pleased when we choose to harbor unforgiveness, which leads to bitterness. Sometimes it doesn't happen immediately, but unforgiveness unaddressed will often, if not always, lead to bitterness rather than to restored, reconciled relationships with people. 
This is the season of spring. In uh, my yard, we have dandelions. How many of you love dandelions? <laughs> I love it. Okay, there's even groans there. I like that. This is, this is one of my prized dandelions in my yard. Uh, so proud of it. It's got five flowers on it. If... <laughs> Most of you don't like dandelions. My, my grandfather was the same way. He would work tooth and nail to get rid of dandelions in his yard. He would use sprays. He would go out there and he'd use a little tool and dig these suckers up because he did not want them to spread. And <clears throat> kids, how many of you like to pick the fluffy white parts of the dandelions and blow them? Anybody? Yes, all right. Um, no shame, sorry parents. Um, <clears throat> Consider the picture of a dandelion. If you want to remove a dandelion, you can't just pick the yellow top, all right? We, we used to do this thing where we'd pop the top of the dandelion off. You can't just do that and expect that they will not come back the next year. If you want to remove a dandelion, you have to remove the entire thing, whether by poison or whether by your sheer hard work of going out there and digging up that root. If you don't address the root of an issue, it will continue to spread. And it's like that with unforgiveness. If you and I don't address roots that have developed deep in our hearts of unforgiveness towards people or towards God or towards ourselves, that root will continue to be there and it will continue to fester and it will continue to grow and we'll have to keep cutting it back and cutting it back and cutting it back. The only way we can deal with the roots is by going to God and saying, God, I need help with this root. Sometimes when we address unforgiveness in our life and we seek to forgive, it's a daily, what's the word? It's a daily practice of saying, God, I trust this person. I trust this situation. I trust this thing to you again today. God, I forgive. Help me to continue to forgive as you have forgiven me. Because God desires to help us remove the, remove the root and pursue forgiveness even in the midst of difficult circumstances. There is much more that could be said about forgiveness. I've tried to give us an overview of why Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, God. Remember, the early church prayed this three times a day. They played this three times a day because the practice of forgiveness is something important to our spiritual life. It's important to our spiritual life. Do we have the cards for this week? The prayer cards back there? We're gonna hand those out. If they're not there, then they're, oh, fantastic. Yeah, we're gonna hand these out. And these are just reminders and helps for you to pray in accordance with Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. There's a couple of passages on there if you wanna do some further study. But I invite you this week to pray God, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those who have debted us or those who have sinned against us and pray that by the power of God's grace. <clears throat> Friends, forgiveness is hard, but Jesus calls us to pursue forgiveness regularly. He calls to say, God, where am I at with my relationship with you? God, where am I at with my, with my relationships with others? How do I live rightly for your glory? One of the encouragements to me, especially in difficult forgiveness situations, is to hear stories of people who have forgiven much, who have forgiven to the point of you know that there is no way in their own power that they could forgive the sin that was against them. 
And there's such a story I want to share with you briefly this morning. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may be familiar with her. Her and her family were, um, she was a Holocaust survivor. She wasn't Jewish, but her, her family and her lived in Holland, like the, the Dutch, real Holland. And um, <clears throat> they lived in Holland and they, they housed Jewish people in their hiding place to save them from the Gestapo. Um, I want to share with you a brief video that shares, this, this is her talking of how God helped her to forgive someone who had greatly wronged her throughout the course of this part of her life. Let's watch that. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I explained that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5, and thank you Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free and I could say, brother, give me your hand and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Isn't that an amazing story? Amazing story of how even in the hardest, most difficult circumstances, God gave her the grace to forgive. I want you to just consider your life for a moment right now and, and ask God where you're holding unforgiveness towards someone, maybe towards him, maybe even towards yourself, and ask God for the grace to forgive. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.